Glad each of you are here, and uh, I wonder if you're ready to uh, open your Bibles and study a little bit this evening, maybe for the next 40 minutes. We'll see uh, we can get that done before 8 o'clock, but uh, one of the things I like about Wednesday nights, we do one song and then just get right into the Bible. Come on. Might try that on a Sunday someday, see what happens. <clears throat> All right. So get your Bibles out. Turn them, please, to the book of Revelation. We are continuing our journey in preparing for the Lord's return. No one knows when it's going to be, so we don't, I don't stand up here to assume that I do, because at one point Jesus even said that only the Father knows, not even he knows, Right? And so the best that we can do is to live our lives, especially in these end times that we live with all the things that we see happening around us, ready, <laughs> ready. You know, I, just, I had the image just now of a, 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 a track runner in the blocks, just waiting for the gun to go off to run as fast and as hard as they can. And I think we got to find ourselves in the blocks, ready. For the Lord's return. And so that's really the assignment that the Lord gave me probably back in the beginning of uh, 2020 um, to prepare the saints for his return. Now, I first started off thinking, well, that was just about, you know, end times. It was just about a study of the, Reve of the book of Revelation. And then I realized, no, there's so much that encompasses that idea of what you and I must do in this life, in this earthen realm, with this earth suit, with this mind, to be ready for the Lord's return. I'm discovering that in the spirit, I'm already ready. Amen, are you ready? Amen. Amen. Uh, so uh, we've been uh, taking a journey through the seven churches of Asia. We only have two more to go. And then I get to talk about some other cool stuff that I can't wait to get into. Uh, we almost finished the um, Church of Sardis last week. We just came short of just a verse. <clears throat> and so uh, I just want to do a quick recap on Sardis. Remember that it was a city that was on a rock pinnacle. They thought that they were uh, safe from all harm and no armies could ever uh, penetrate their city. So they pretty much left their gates unguarded. They slept while the Syria and the army came in and took them over. Uh, Jesus says of them that that church there in Sardis appeared to be alive, but it was in fact dead. Fundamentally, it was a fake church. It was a pretend church. Or as my pastor, Dr. Barkley, often calls it, the pseudo-church. It's like that pseudo-medicine, you know, that's not real, but they give it to you just to make you feel better, but it does you no good in the, it, at all. So they received, <clears throat> excuse me, an instruction from the Lord to wake up, to be vigilant, to stay alert. And we made a statement last week, uh, two or three times through the service, that watchfulness should be the constant attitude of our Christian life. We've got to remain watchful at all times. Uh, they had a bad reputation for starting a lot of things, but not finishing what they started. Their works were incomplete, the scripture said. Uh, they were instructed to remember what they had learned, 
and uh, they were instructed to hold fast to it, but they were also instructed to repent of their ways. And there were a faithful few people in Sardis who had not stained or soiled their garments, as the Scripture says. And so in Revelation chapter 3, verse 6, I think 5 and 6, yes, 5 and 6, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, right there, there's a threefold promise that's given to those that overcome, those who endure. Uh, One of them is to be clothed in white. That has several meanings. Uh, Theologically, uh, white is often uh, in regard to victories. White is often worn in regard to purity. And white is often worn in regard to festivities. Uh, So we're going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So we'll be clothed in white. It goes on to say that your names will not be erased from the book of life. And and Jesus says, and I'm going to confess you before my God. He's going to say, hey, Father... This is Larry, he's my brother, and he accepted me as Lord. I mean, he's going to confess us before the Father. It's going to be a pretty cool deal. Now, I was going to go on a journey um, in the study of the book of life, about the book of life, and the other heavenly records that are listed there, mostly platforming from your names not being erased from the book of life, and I've spent a week. I've been, I've been reading about it for several weeks, and I spent all week, you know, kind of milling that over in my head. And, and um, even today, even today, I was praying about it, and I wrote a bunch of notes about it. But I, this is what really settled into my spirit, that although I feel it would be a fun study, uh, and, and an important study, not just fun, but I think it's more important for us to continue uh, with the direction that we're at and to finish the study on the seven churches and complete that. And then maybe at some time we'll come back and actually talk about uh, the books, the records of heaven. The Bible teaches us that there are books that things are being recorded in, and then there's the book of life. And so we'll take a look at that at some other point. Can you say amen? So to continue with our current journey, that gets us back to the letters to the seven churches in Asia. And tonight is uh, the letter to the church at Philadelphia. This is an interesting letter. It's, it's somewhat long, uh, a long letter compared to some of the others. Um, I don't think there was any negatives that were given by the Lord in there, only commendations. Um, and so we'll learn a little bit about uh, Philadelphia and kind of go through a number of the lessons that can be learned in that particular letter. Remember, part of our goal with doing the, the uh, seven churches is not just to work our way through Revelation. It's to recognize that there are things in those letters that the Lord Jesus commended. And we should strive with all of our might toward those things that he was pleased with and those, those things that he commended. And there was a number of things for uh, at least five of the seven churches that he condemned. And we should also be alert and, and, and strive as much as we can to stay away from those things that Jesus wasn't pleased with in his church. Can I get an Amen. So tonight, the letter to the Church of Philadelphia, it's in Revelation chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 7. It goes through the verses, through verse 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, 
He who is holy, who is true, and who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. Gave himself quite an introduction there, didn't he? Let me tell you who I am, the Lord says. I am he who is holy, I am he who is true, and I'm also the cat that's got the keys of David. There's an introduction for you. Verse 8, I know your deeds. I think he said that in just about every one of the letters. I know, I know what you're doing. I know your works. Behold, I have put before you an open door that no one can shut. Because you have a little power. Everybody say little power. And you have kept my word. Say kept my word. And have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and I will make them know, make them know that I have loved that I loved you, have loved you. Verse 10. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, that's a uh, very interesting phrase. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. Another important phrase. Uh, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And he immediately says when it's, what it's in relationship to because he says, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. Well, that's kind of an interesting phrase as well in this mix. Verse 12, he who overcomes, <coughs> excuse me, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And there's something to learn from there. And he will not go out from it anymore. Something to learn there. And I will write on him the name of my God. There's one. The, the name of the city of my God. Uh, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And my new name. Imagine having three names tattooed on your forehead. Kind of crazy. You see some of these people that are you know, the uh, rock stars and stuff, they got their faces all tattooed up, and it's like, what is that person thinking? Are they ever going to come to a place in their life where they look in the mirror and go, what did I do? They're crazy. But in this case, uh, he's going to write on us uh, the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, uh, and my new name. Uh, verse 13, you who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Right on. You ready? Father, give us grace now. As we unfold this and begin to look deeper into the things that you want us to learn from these words here in your letter to the church at Philadelphia, in Jesus' name. So I always kind of give you a snapshot of the city because it's important to kind of learn the culture of that city and what's going on in that city. Often the letters, and in fact every single one of the letters have greater meaning when you think about who the letter was written to and how they lived and what their city was like. And so in this particular case, this was the youngest of the seven cities. Uh, it was founded primarily for the sole purpose of spreading Greek culture, of spreading the Greek language, so it was a city of culture. It was also a city where some of the very best grapes and the vineyards were grown, and they, uh, they, they, were, they, made, they were in wine production. So that was a big part of the history of that city. Interestingly, they were on a, a fault line, and, and they regularly, history even shows, in some cases, daily experienced earthquakes. So the people kind of lived in constant fear of earthquakes in their city. 
Uh, interestingly, out of all the churches it's, it's, uh, and cities, it's the only Greek city where Christians were completely not persecuted. They were absolutely free to worship however they wanted. So that was a good deal. So in this letter, Jesus introduces himself with three, three titles. And to the Hebrew, they, that means a lot. To the Greek, it meant a lot. He who, he, he who is holy is the first one. And the only, the, in, in the Hebrew uh, language, the only one that ever got the word hagios or holy was Father God himself. So he was saying, I am holy. I am the one who is holy. I am God, interestingly. Then he goes on to say, I am he who is true. He's, and he's not saying just I'm truthful, I tell the truth. He's saying I am the authentic one. I'm the real deal. And then he goes on to say, he who has the key of David. Now, that's a whole other story and, and study all the way back into the Old Testament. But it, it, it is about authority. So Jesus is introducing himself and saying, dear church, I'm the one who is God. And I am the real deal. And I have the authority. That's what he's saying right there. Okay? So in Revelation 3.8, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. You have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. In relationship to the open door, there are many theological explanations to this particularly. Diane and I have used this scripture a number of times in making decisions in our life. Uh, Pastor Bernie Gruendike, I believe, it may be Pastor Dwayne, but one of the two of them told us a long time ago, you know, when we were making, Behold, I've opened a door for you that no man can shut. So look, so look for the open door, find peace, and then get spiritual counsel, and then make a good decision. Don't try to kick the door down. But there's deeper explanations to this um, theologically, and, and in all of my studies, one stands out above them all. And this may surprise you, but the one that stands out above them all is the door of evangelism. The door, now let me, I'm going to explain that to you. The door of evangelism. It's the one that, you know, what you do when you, uh, the Bible says, study to show yourself approved, the faithful workman rightly dividing the word of truth, and, the, and, the, and Scripture should parallel itself throughout Scripture. Uh, and so you don't just take a single segment of a scripture and build a doctrine. You look for the correlation throughout it. And so this is the one of the open door, no man can shut theologies that can be paralleled in scripture. Uh, it's interesting. Acts chapter 14 verse 27 speaks about the open door of faith. When they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, we see the open door of service, the, of effective ministry. It says, a wide door for effective service has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Here, apparently, there were adversaries, because it says, uh, you got some among you are of the synagogue of Satan, uh, and, and, and they believe that the stuff is alive, but I'm going to make them come and bow down. So they got adversaries right there where they're working, so they could understand what the Lord was saying when I've, I've, got, I've made an open door. Another one is the open door of the gospel. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, When I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. It's not talking about a door. And, you know, it's talking about an entry into people's lives and into that city. And then also we see another interesting one in the book of Colossians about the open door of proclaiming the word. Colossians 4.3. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. The door of evangelism. In every one of these cases, it was about a door being opened to spread the gospel, to tell the story of Jesus Christ. And that's what's being said here to them. So I've opened a door for you, for the gospel of Jesus. I've opened a door of evangelism. I've opened a door of witnessing. I've opened a door of spreading the gospel message for you, and no man can shut it. God said, I'm the one. Remember, he said, I'm God, and I'm the real deal, and I have the authority, and I have opened a door, and nobody else is the one, and nobody else is authentic, and nobody else has the authority to close it. See how that fits together? So God opened, I want to I embellish that a little bit and go on with it. God opened a door of evangelism and uh, witness. You need to hear this. God opened a door of evangelism and witness, and no power can prevent it. You are not created to just come here and sit in this church. Belly up to the table and be gluttons of the word of God. Now, yes, we are gluttons of the word of God and we are addicted to Jesus Christ. But it doesn't end here. This is about you showing up and getting prepared to go out into whatever open door God has given you. Are you hearing me? So I want you to begin to think about it that way. I mean, we should kind of pray for this open door every time we consider witnessing to someone. Diane and I did this in a way we really didn't know what we were doing then in conjunction to the open door of witness and evangelism, but often years ago we, when we would go to the lake house to visit Diane's uh, mom and dad and family, it was, a, it was a party, a ruckus party with serious language and everything else, and our little girls were just tiny, and we were like, you know, didn't really want them around that environment, but we also knew that uh, we may be the only witness that our family would receive. And so we would drive there, and we would stop, I don't know, a mile or two, I don't know, there was a tree near that we would stop at, and we would pray, all of us as a family would pray before we went in, and that the Lord would uh, move away any evil and straighten the crooked paths. And and even though I can look back on it now, in, in, in our own naivety as young Christians, we were saying, Lord, open a door for us to be a witness in that environment. And we could not have been a witness without an open door from Christ. Are you following me? So it, I, I thought about that today. I thought about that story, sweetheart, and, and it just made me think, you know, to really encourage you all to kind of say a prayer or something like this. If you know you're going to, you want to go witness to somebody, or you're with a family member and you're hoping that you can be a witness. Maybe not preach a message, but be a witness. Maybe you should say a prayer or something like this. Lord, open the door of faith for them to believe. That's first. And I'm going back to the scriptures that I just read you. Though the enemy may come to steal it away from them and naysayers may try to sway them, open the door for me to have an effective witness today. 
Lord, when I share the gospel message and my testimony, open the door of their ears and of their heart to receive it. Please open a door today that nobody can shut. Now, I would, I would dare say that none of us have ever prayed that specific prayer or a prayer maybe even really similar to that just prior to going to witness to someone or just prior to being around someone that you hoped that somehow your life and your living testimony would woo them and draw them, right? Well, guess what? An open door of faith. What a beautiful uh, example of this. Uh, behold, I've opened a door for you that no man can shut. So every one of us are going to have um, witnessing opportunities. We're going to experience opportunities. Maybe call it doors of missionary opportunity to share the good news. And they're probably presented to us every day, uh, opportunities to share a witness, to share the gospel, to share our testimony, to be Christ to somebody. Uh, William Barclay in his book, no relationship whatsoever to Dr. Barclay, but in his book, The Study of Revelation, he put it this way. There is a door of missionary opportunity before every person and they need not go overseas to find it. Within the home, within the circle in which we move, within the parish in which we reside, there are those to be one for Christ. That's a power statement right there. Every single day we're going to have missionary opportunities. And we need to say, Lord, help me recognize that missionary. Because sometimes they're just divine appointments, you know what I mean? And, and, and they can be missed. But, uh, Lord, give me an opportunity to share the gospel, to share my testimony. Help me spread the love of Christ, even if it's just what someone sees in my smile and in my eyes. And when that smile and my, the twinkle in my eyes, because, Lord, I know it comes from you and what you've done in my life. And, Father, when they see it, may there be an open door of faith. Huh? May there be an open door of effective witness. Think about that. Imagine how many more people we could potentially reach if we had that mindset about our missionary opportunities. So maybe that kind of gives you a new angle on, behold, I've opened a door for you that no man can shut. Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, and continuing with that, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. Then he goes on to say, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my faith. Little strength. Now, it's interesting to me that in human nature, we will have the tendency to more focus on the word little than on the word strength. Right? When we read that, we think, well, they must not have had, they must have been really weak. That's not what it's saying. They were strong, they just had little strength. Now, there's, do you know that, do you realize that you and God make a majority? You don't need an army. It could just be you and Jesus Christ and a missionary opportunity where you can spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. How, why can't we focus on the strength part versus having our human tendency to focus on the little, the little part? 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, You are of God, little children, have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. Let's focus on the strength part of this. I think the Lord is. He wasn't giving them a condemnation that they, were, that they had little strength. It was a commendation. 
that they had little streaks. So, some of us think that we got to be, you know, there's people probably say, I just, I just wish I was as strong as Pastor Rick. Or I say, I wish I was as strong as Pastor Barkley. And Pastor Barkley probably said, I, was, I wish I was as strong as Dr. Hagen was. All of us can get there and then we belittle ourselves. Mm. How about Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Or if you really, if you want to focus on the little for a minute, Luke 17, 6, the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, I believe that it's in botany the smallest seed that there is. I've heard that before. If you have faith as a mustard seed, if you have little faith, you don't need great faith to see mighty miracles to come to pass, and you don't need great strength to see God come through for you in your path as well. So don't focus on the little. It says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this tree, be pulled up by the roots and go be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So you don't need great faith. You need a little faith. You don't need great strength. You need little strength, and you can accomplish more than many people do in an entire lifetime. Can you say amen? amen? I love this next part, and I love the fact that, you know, you can read the scripture and find so much in, from comma to comma, not just the first capital letter of the sentence in the period, but <laughs> all the punctuation. Boom, there's a whole other message, hallelujah. I told, <laughs> I told Diane I was, uh, you know, kind of stressing a little bit because I couldn't find my landing place for tonight's lesson because I kept trying to land around the airport of the, the book of life. It wasn't where God wanted me to land. And she said, oh, come on, Rick. You can preach a whole message on one scripture and sing three songs. It'll be all right. So <laughs> I sang one, but we're going to... Uh, Revelation 3.8, I've set before you an open door, and, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. And it goes on to say, here's another commendation, and you have kept my word and have not denied my name. There was a door of missionary opportunity that no man can shut that was open to the Philadelphian church. They had a little strength with a focus on strength. You've got to change your mindset, y'all not a focus on little. They had kept the word. This is where I want to focus for just a minute. Because again, what we see Jesus commending in his letter, we should strive toward those things. What we see Jesus condemning, we should do everything in our power to get away from those things. Now, there's a lot of commendation, not condemnation, commendation in this letter. It says, you have kept the word of God, and would not deny the faith. I say, I say something all the time. Keep your nose in the book. It's of paramount importance that we have a working knowledge of the word. You don't have to know Greek. You don't have to know Hebrew. You don't have to know uh, 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 Aramaic, and you don't have to know Latin in order to understand God's word. You just have to keep your nose in the book. And the more you read, and the more you consume, the more enlightenment, and the more understanding that you will get. Every time you'll, you read it, you'll gain more understanding. Uh, you got to, you know, instead of lightly reading the Bible, why don't, why don't we all make a choice to 
study the Word of God instead. I mean, that really is what Tear Up Your Bible is all about. The whole Tear Up Your Bible program that we're doing, I made it very clear when we started it a year ago, this wasn't about taking a daily reading plan and checking off that you read those three chapters. The Tear Up Your Bible was to study those three chapters and take a journey in those three chapters and mark your Bible up about what you're learning and take notes about what you're learning in those three chapters. I pray that that is is the case for this church, for these people here at Resurrection Life Church, that you are a people that don't just lightly read the Word, but you're people that tear up the Word, get it into your spirit. If you are sitting here tonight or watching me online, and you're one of those people who only lightly, passingly, quickly read the Word, you're going to take, it will take much longer for you to gain enlightenment and understanding in a lot of things when people around you will go past you who are hungry for the Word and keep their nose in the book. I don't know how many times over, over the years I've said my statement of keep your nose in the book, your knees bent to heaven, and your body in the house of God is not just a clever cliche. It's not just a clever saying. It, it, I've preached messages called the three keys to successful Christianity, and those are the three keys to success, successful Christianity. These people here received a commendation from the Lord that they kept his word. They kept his word. Let's go on and read a little bit more. I'll get back to the keeping of the word thing because it's, it's mentioned again. In Revelation 3, 9, Indeed, I'll make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will, come, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. The people of Philadelphia kept God's word and did not deny the name. That was the big deal. Deny the name of Jesus Christ. Don't mention the name of Jesus Christ. The apostles were given that instruction. Weren't you instructed not to preach under this name, Jesus Christ? Uh, Should there be a day where, well, it's happening across the globe. Should there be a day? I'll just say, it's happening even today that good Christians are saying, deny the name of Jesus Christ or be beheaded. Okay? These folks would not deny. They used the strength that they had to reach out to others with the gospel message. You don't have to be a Billy Graham. You don't have to be a, 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 a Joyce Meyer. You just have to be you, little old you, the one and only you here on planet Earth to do what God has called you to do with your missionary opportunity. And you must keep the Word of God. Keep your nose in the book. Study, not lightly read, study. These folks would not tolerate false teachers, and they had a firm position on what they believed. And because of it, the people who were attacking them ultimately became worshipers of God. Mm. But I want to go back to that kept the Word. In Revelation chapter 3, Verse 10 through 11 says, Because you have kept my command to persevere, or as it says in the New American Standard, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have. Hold fast. Y'all been taught this before. That that comes from the Greek wrestling 
imagery. Hold fast is take that thing and pin it to the ground. Hold it fast. Just like that wrestler on top has to hold that position of being pinned until the referee gives the three count. Hold fast. That's, a, that's, a, that's an aggressive gripping of the things of God. It says hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. If we keep the gospel message burning in our heart, if we will keep that same kind of patient endurance, what kind? The kind that Christ showed when he patiently endured his sufferings and the reasons for why he did it, then we have a promise to be kept from the hour of testing. And in this case, an hour of testing that's going to overshadow the entire earth. We know directly that's talking about the great tribulation and the end times. And I love this. I got this statement, I think, from the Barclay book on Revelation as well. It says, those who keep are kept. Let me say it again. Maybe you didn't get it. It was so short and simple it went right over your heads. Those who keep are kept. You keep the word. You keep that which God has revealed to your heart. and Hold fast to it. He will keep you in the hour of trouble, in the hour of temptation, in the hour of testing. And I believe not just the great hour, the great depression, uh, 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 persecution, but the, uh, the daily trouble, Amen. the daily press. But you got to have the word in you, right? So you got to be a, a keep your nose in the book. Get that in you. Hold fast to the, that scripture that's come alive for you. And if you'll hold fast to it, and if you'll endure, and let Jesus Christ and his endurance be an example of the endurance that you and I have, he says, I'll keep you from the hour of trouble. If you'll keep it, those who keep are kept. Now, the hour of testing, although we can have testing and temptation and trials in this life, the hour of testing in this text is not just a moment of life in life where we are tested or tried. This is actually about the coming of the Lord, and that's substantiated by what verse 11 says, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one take it from you. The hour of testing. Let's, let's, let's take a look at that phrase for a minute. Everybody all right? I must have done, oh, I know what I did. I got five minutes. I looked at it and I went, I've only been talking for five minutes. <laughs> it's counting down. No, no, no. <laughs> the phrase has various meanings, varying meanings. Excuse me. This phrase, hour of testing, has varying meanings based on what one's position or belief about the rapture is. Let's get that first and foremost. I'm not, I'm not here to go into a... a a dissertation on the rapture, but there are many different positions on it. We've talked about it already, and people have different beliefs about it. And I submit to you, though, that no matter what your position on the rapture may be, you're going to be protected by God. No matter what that position may be, you will be protected by God. You will be kept under the shadow of his wing. Just like he protected and kept under his wings the children of Israel during all the plagues that came to Egypt. He'll do the same for his church. Again, I, this phrase to me isn't 
about what you believe about the rapture. I think that whatever position you may take, may take this is still going to come true for us, that we're going to be guarded and protected in that hour of trouble. So no matter what your rapture position may be or that one that you may take, the one thing that we can be for sure is that we will not experience the wrath of God. We know that. The Bible teaches us in 1 Thessalonians 5.9, God did not appoint us to wrath. Okay? And so the, in the study of the rapture, the, the, the dividing line is knowing what is the wrath of Satan in the study of that and knowing what is the wrath of God in that. And that's no matter what, you are, what your take is on the timing of the rapture, Christ is instructing us in verse 11 to hold fast to what we have. I told you that Greek illustration. Pin it down and don't let it go. Hang on to it. Hold tight to the truths that you have learned. Don't allow anybody to alter your beliefs or take you away from the word of God. That's what that scripture is saying. I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. What's, that? What's the bottom line? The bottom line is be steadfast. Be faithful. Don't slumber. Don't sleep. Stay alert. Be vigilant. Hang on to what you've discovered about God, hang on to what you've learned about God, whether that be through the preaching of the word from the pulpit or whether it be of the reading and study of the word right in your own home. Hold tight to it. Don't have shallow, flippant, airheaded reading. Read it with all your heart and with all your might. And if you're falling asleep while you do it, put the book away and do it when you're awake. Right? You've heard me say it a hundred times that People who, cho who choose to read their Bible for, before they go to sleep at night typically aren't using it as study. They're using it as sedative. Because they wake up in the morning with their nose in the book. So keep your nose in the book. Keep your knees bent to heaven. Keep your body in the house of God. Revelation chapter 3, as we get ready to close this out. Uh, verses 12 through 13, he who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple. Interesting statement. He shall go out no more. That really meant something to the people at Philadelphia, and I'll help you understand that. I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on, my, write on him my new name. That's three serious tattoos potentially. Three promises to the overcomer, a pillar in the temple, no going in and out any longer, and names written on them. Let's talk about pillars for just a moment. In this setting and understanding a little bit about Philadelphia, remember that it was on a fault line, and they, history literally shows that they had seasons where every single day they experienced tremors and earthquakes. It was a part of their life, but they also lived in fear because of the daily earthquakes. Uh, people began to move out of the city of Philadelphia to live out in the country and then just come in and go out uh, based because they were afraid of the place. You need to understand, when Jesus writes stuff in these letters, he's writing to a specific city. They understand. They're going to they're gonna receive a message from that that we wouldn't if we didn't know that history. Many citizens of Philadelphia lived out in the country, as I said, because they had fear 
of the earthquakes. Nearly every commentarian, when he speaks about, he or she speaks about the pillars in Solomon's temple. I know, I know. But according to the clock, I have eight minutes. That was my eight-minute warning. It's, it's eight minutes to eight. You can put up with an hour of church, right? Okay, good. Uh, remember that these people would understand, then you, 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 he will not go out from it anymore. There'll be no going in and going out. That was how they lived their life in fear every day. Out of the city when, it, when, when the tremors came, move out of the city because we're afraid of the earthquake, go back in but get out quick. They understood what that meant. Pillars is interesting. Turn your Bibles with me to 1 Kings for a minute. That's right, we're going back to the Old Testament. 1 Kings. Because things are not written in the Bible just to, to take up space. When he says that he will make them pillars in the temple of God, he means something by that. When we hear the word pillars, we think of columns that hold up structures, right? Okay. But obviously, you're not going to be made into a column that holds up a structure. So it must mean something other than that. So we're going to read a little bit about it, and I'm going to help you understand it to the best of my ability through the power of the Holy Spirit in 1 Kings chapter 7. 1 Kings chapter 7, I'm going to read verses 13 through 22, because this, this really is interesting, at least to me. Now King Solomon sent and brought Hiram from Tyre. He was a widow's son from the tribe of Nephtali. And his father was a man named Tyre, a worker of bronze. And he was filled with wisdom and understanding and skill for doing any work in bronze. So he came to King Solomon and performed all his work. He fashioned the two pillars of bronze. Eighteen cubits was the height of one pillar, and a line of twelve cubits measured the circumference of both. He also made the two capitals of molten bronze. Capital, by the way, is the flat spot that sits on top of the pillar. Okay? He made two capitals of molten bronze to set on the tops of the pillars. Well, I should have just kept reading. <laughs> the height of the one capital was five cubits, and the height of the other capital was five cubits. There were nets of, of network and twisted threads of chain work for the capitals, which were on top of the pillars, seven for the one capital, seven for the other capital. So he made the pillars and two rows around on the one network to cover the capitals, which were on top of the pomegranates, and so he did for the other capital. The capitals which were on top of the pillars in the porch were of lily design, four cubits. They were capitals on the two, there were capitals on the two pillars, even above and close to the rounded projection which was beside the network. And the pomegranates numbered 200 in rows around both capitals. Here it comes. Thus he set up the pillars at the porch of the nave, and he set up the right pillar and named it Jachin. Say Jachin. And he set up the left pillar and he named it Boaz. Say Boaz. On top of the pillars was the lily design, so the work of the pillars was finished. Now, you might just read that and go, oh, that's cool. So what? It means something. Jachin, and you've got to think about the city again, right? Keep your mind set on what's going on in Philadelphia, right? They were scared to even be in town because of the potential daily earthquake tremors. Jachin 
actually is a, a, a Hebrew word that means stability. And its literal meaning is he will establish. God will establish. Boaz stands for strength. Remember, he said you have a little strength. We focus on the little, but I made us tonight focus on the strength, right? And, and literally it means in him is strength. That's what this one pillar on one side, what it meant was God will establish it. And the pillar that was on the other side, though it was named Boaz, it actually meant that in him or in God is strength. Together they brought around the idea that God will establish in strength. For a people that were shaken to even be in their town for a church meeting because of the possibility of earthquake tremors, to have them say, you know what, if you'll endure, he who overcomes to the very end, I will make pillars in my temple. I would say because they were, most of these Christians came from the Judaic faith, they had some understanding of what was being said in that setting. We don't necessarily. God is saying to the overcomer that you will be established in strength and you'll no longer need to fear your surroundings. You and I can take that as well because there's a lot of us that we, we are fearful in our own skin. Thank you for your enthusiasm, enthusiastic, seriously scary silence. People are fearful in their own skin. And to have God say that if you will overcome, if you hold fast until I come and endure to the end, I will establish you in strength. That's a pretty profound and powerful thing, I believe. God is saying to the overcomer that they will be established in strength and they'll no longer need to fear their surroundings. That's a good word. The next part is the names are written uh, on, on the overcomer. And I got in my notes here that I'm supposed to read pages 134 through 135 in the Barclays book, which I did not bring. It's not here. So I guess I won't read that. The name of God, I'll tell you what it stands for. The name of God, remember that's one of the names will be written on you? The name of my God. It denotes ownership. The other name, I love this. The name of the city of my God, which was Jerusalem, denotes citizenship. Are you catching it? And the new name, this one is, I love this one. The new name, is it, it reflects your true spiritual identity. Amen. You know, uh, Cephas was changed to Peter. Uh, Saul was changed to Paul. The, the old identity was no longer who was his new identity. So whether, I don't think that there's going to be literal tattoos on us. But if they are, and this is what they mean, if, if, if the Lord writes the name of his God on me, that denotes, Rick, you belong to my father. He owns you. And if he writes the name of the city of his God, which is Jerusalem on me, that, that tells me what I'm actually a citizen of. Come on, somebody. And if he writes a new name on me, it's going to be a name that he already knows reflects who I am truly in the spirit. I don't know that name. I'd like to. But someday I will know that. If you can believe it and you can receive it tonight, would you give the Lord a praise in the house of God?
All right. Next week, we will, hopefully and prayerfully, by some miracle, finish the seven letters to the churches in Asia. We're gonna, there's a lot to talk about in that last church, though. The church of Laodicea, which had some serious problems. Right on? All right. Praise the Lord. Stand with me. I'll send you out. Bless. Eight o'clock on the button.